This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It could have caused such a disaster. A truck driver says something was deliberately dropped onto his windshield as he drove. Why it could have been catastrophic. Plus... I'm having to tow cars through this flooding and it's quite scary actually. Soggy Sunday, how the atmospheric river turned roads and basements into lakes and... I have never been more stressed. A holiday tradition forced into the mall because of the ALR kicked it off the farm. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with a frightening incident for a lower mainland truck driver. He was driving on Highway 1 in the Fraser Valley Friday night when he says something was deliberately dropped from above, smashing his windshield. That's dangerous enough, but as Julia Foy reports, given the load he was carrying, it could have been catastrophic. You didn't realize the carnage that you could have caused. Long-haul trucker Michael Bordelow has a message for the person who threw a heavy object off the Pierdenville overpass on Highway 1 near Abbotsford Friday night. He says it hit his truck like a missile. The windshield stopped it from coming right through and hitting me in the face. Had it done that, it, there would have been devastation everywhere. Bordelow says he was showered with shards of glass after the impact, but had to remain calm and keep driving. His 25-meter-long truck and trailer, which weighed 60 tons and was carrying a flammable cargo, because there was no safe place to pull over. Had I flipped over, it, you know, I would have killed more than just one person. I had flammables. That could have caught fire. That was chemicals. It could have caused such... A disaster. A short time later, Bordelow came upon an RCMP traffic services stop and Constable Philip Patterson. They don't realize how dangerous that is. We need to get a message out to, uh, especially to young people, how dangerous this could be. This could have, uh, you know, seriously injured or even killed someone. There have been several cases of people being injured or killed after their vehicle was hit by an object deliberately thrown off an overpass. The BC Trucking Association represents thousands of drivers in the industry. The first thing I hear of this is of the driver uh, and how traumatic and how jarring it can be. Uh, I don't think people who do this type of activity understand that they are literally putting people's lives at risk. Bordelow says he saw two people standing on the overpass before his truck was hit. Anyone with information about their possible identity is asked to call RCMP Traffic Services or the Abbotsford Police. You could have killed a lot of people. You could have killed me. And we're just trying to do a job. Julia Foy, Global News. There was a head-on collision in Burnaby just after 3 o'clock today above Lougheed Highway on the Kensington Overpass. Fire crews had to use the jaws of life to rescue those trapped inside. At least three people were sent to hospital with unknown injuries. It's believed another vehicle was also damaged in the crash. RCMP remained on scene for most of the afternoon. Still no word on the cause. 
Breaking news on the labor front. School support workers in Sanicha voted in favor of a tentative agreement to end their strike. Nearly 7,500 students have been out of the classroom for three weeks as CUPE workers walked the picket line. Yesterday, both sides announced an agreement had been reached. This afternoon, members voted 84% in favor to end the strike, with the voting taking about four hours. The deal includes a 2% increase each year of the three-year contract. School is set to reopen tomorrow. And Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, what can you tell us about that vote and what lessons it might hold for the ongoing BCTF dispute? Well, yeah, one of the big takeaways here, Colleen, is at the end of the day, the NDP government held the line here. They did not put more money into that contract than what was already there at the beginning of the of the, of the strike. Uh, there was some movement within it because the district got creative and took money away from certain parts of the, of the budget and moved it into wage allocation. But the, av- the actual amount of money that is going to CUPE here does not exceed the mandate and does not exceed the amount of money that was set aside at the beginning of the strike. So the message I think the government would like to see the TF take away from this is that we're not going to bend on on our line with you in, in terms of the negotiating mandate, you have to come in within it, but that's going to be a tough sell. Okay, and what about the teachers? Are there any talks scheduled? No, unfortunately. Uh, the mediator's report landed just a short time ago. He wanted to have two weeks lapse before he contacted the parties again in any formal sense. But they are going to get together with the mediator, we, we assume, sometime in December. But in terms of actual contract negotiations, none scheduled, even though they've been without a contract since the beginning of the school year. All right, Keith, keep us posted. Thank you. All right. And to other labor issues that are top of mind right now, the Metro Vancouver transit strike. It's day 17 and there is no sign either side is budging. On this Sunday night, commuters are once again bracing for more Monday morning delays as bus drivers refuse to work overtime. Paul Johnson is in Vancouver with the details. Paul. Colleen, there was uh, what appeared to be a bit of good news today. Earlier this morning, TransLink put out a statement saying that they were expecting there was going to be a fairly extensive list of cancellations of CBUS sailings tomorrow. But by the end of the day today, they'd actually walked that back and they said they got the staffing on that sorted out and they don't expect there's going to be a lot of cancellations beyond a couple tomorrow morning. The rest of the CBUS schedule ought to feel normal. The bad news, of course, is there is no end in sight to this job action. Both parties here remain deadlocked over the issue of wages. The union, Unifor, is saying that workers should be getting paid the same amount of money that people in Toronto who do the same job are already getting paid. The company, though, is saying they simply can't afford it. Ultimately, there's only so much money to go around. So higher wages we're offering higher wages already higher wages beyond that would mean translink would have to raise new funds or look at cutting existing service or expansion in the future a little bit slower i guess on some of the bus routes oh okay i hope that they get what they deserve though those guys deserve to be paid proper they've been actually quite on time and quite accurate so yeah i haven't affected i work out in burnaby so okay then i live i live downtown so no i haven't a little bit uh yeah, because I, I do work kind of far from my place, but um, yeah, I've been working around it. How so has I, it been affecting your life? Uh, it just, it takes longer to get there, but uh, but I understand why it's happening, so I, I'm, f- I'm for it. So while the CBUS should be fairly usual tomorrow, bus riders may face some substantial delays starting Monday and then again on Wednesday and Friday. Bus drivers are going to be refusing 
overtime. When they last did this on Friday, there were substantial delays that were happening in Vancouver and Surrey. TransLink says that they expect that this job action is going to reduce service system-wide by about 10%. But they say it's very hard to predict exactly which areas are going to be most affected. Colleen? All right. Thanks for that, Paul. And we have more breaking news on the labor front. The contentious strike at the Rosewood Hotel Georgia in Vancouver also appears to be coming to an end. About 200 workers went off the job on September 22nd. After a 29-hour bargaining session that began on Friday, both sides have reached a tentative agreement ending the 58-day strike. Hotel management says a workplace safety program will be implemented to prevent harassment and discrimination against employees. Well, the South Coast is just beginning to dry out after a deluge of rain overnight and this morning. The so-called atmospheric river caused localized flooding, damaging homes and making it challenging for pedestrians and motorists to get around. Grace Key reports. Heavy rain caused flooding throughout the area. City crews have been working around the clock clearing storm drains, but sometimes just finding them proved to be a challenge. This was one of the harder hit areas in Vancouver. At 9th and 16th, part of the road was blocked off for much of the morning due to flooding. One neighbor says a couple of vehicles tried driving through this area but didn't make it. You should have seen the first car that went through here because I was awake at the first thing in the morning and I lost control. Uh, probably the guy had control of his vehicle at the end, but it's a wonder he didn't end up in the, in the barricade. Drivers coming off the Oak Street Bridge into Vancouver barreled through this pool of water. Tow truck drivers throughout the region were busy helping out drivers who may have underestimated just how deep the water was. I'm having to tow cars through this flooding and it's quite scary actually. Cars submerged probably almost up to the frame of their car. Just had to jump someone. Uh, I guess they got moisture all inside their motor there. Water levels were high along Still Creek and Burnaby, and several roads around the area were closed due to localized flooding. And despite the heavy rains, that didn't seem to stop this person from getting his morning jog in. <laughs> I'm, I'm drenched, yeah. This is typical. And we had a lot of rainfall, right? Municipalities are asking people to help clear leaves and debris from catch basins to keep your neighborhood free of flooding. Grace Key, Global News. On Vancouver Island, a rock slide on the Malahat caused traffic delays this morning. Rocks and mud came down on the highway between West Shore Parkway and Goldstream Park. Single lane alternating traffic as crews worked to clear the road and ensure the cliffside was stable. The route was fully reopened at around noon. A rock slide in the Stikine is still causing lengthy road closures. Telegraph Creek Road is only open between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. daily and only to all-wheel drive vehicles. A slide on Highway 51 on November 5th blocked the only road to the community of Telegraph Creek. Crews have been working to clear the blockage and stabilize the area ever since. Motorists are being advised of slippery conditions due to rain falling on compact snow. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us now. Yvonne, you warned us about the rain last night. And the heaviest rain fell overnight and for this morning. And the hardest hit area, when we took a look at some of the totals, were for Euclid and Tofino, so the western side of Vancouver Island, over 210 millimeters. Port Mellon with just over 100. Mission and Squamish picking up 70 millimeters of rain. West Fan at 69. And out of the airport, we were just over 30 millimeters. Here's what we are looking at. Ice break, but we do have another system that is going to push in. Blip in the 
forecast for tomorrow. And then there is some sunshine. More coming up with your long range. Colleen. All right. Thanks for that, Yvonne. And the city of Victoria is asking taxpayers if they'd support a huge pay raise for councillors. In an online budget survey, the public is being asked if they'd agree with adjusting the annual salary and benefits for council members to $7,100 a year, the median income for all city employees except for police and fire. It would give each councillor a raise of $25,700 annually. That's more than a 55% pay hike and would cost the city more than $205,000 a year. The survey question originated from Councillor Ben Isset's motion asking city staff to investigate the costs of making councillors pay on par with city employees. Rob Vagramov will be returning to work tomorrow and resuming all of his mayoral duties after the sexual assault charged against him was stayed. The Port Moody mayor had been on a voluntary leave of absence since October 18th with Councillor Steve Malini sitting in the mayor's chair. Vagramov says the charge stemmed from what he describes as an awkward date in 2015 and that he and the sex assault complainant agreed to an alternative measures process approved by Crown. Three rowers and an assistant coach have been filed, have had files, filed rather, complaints against Olympic silver medalist Barney Williams, alleging verbal abuse and harassment. Both the University of Victoria and Rowing Canada are investigating the complaints against the coach of the women's rowing team at the school. Williams has said that he can't comment on the allegations until the investigation has wrapped up. Several rowers describe him as a devoted leader and credit him with their success. Others say he elevates some athletes while excluding and belittling others. A heads up to anyone who wants to venture out onto the seawall this week. It will be partially closed for the next two weeks. Starting tomorrow, crews will begin annual slope stabilization and maintenance work. The sandstone cliff between Prospect Point and the Third Beach will be closed all day until November 29th, except for next weekend. Well, the holidays are all about traditions, and that's especially true in our rural communities. But one long-standing tradition in Chilliwack has been forced to change. Some say not necessarily for the better. The small farmer that puts on Petey's Country Christmas says the Agricultural Land Commission is being a bit of a grinch by enforcing rules meant for big farms. Kristen Robinson has this news hour follow. Well, lots to do. With Halloween over, Gary Moran is building his farm's Christmas event. We're going to have two themed Santa bouncy castles that go in here. But ALR rules are still haunting his family business. It's unbelievably frustrating. I have never been more stressed. Fantasy Farm's seasonal attractions held indoors for years before changes to agricultural land reserve rules in 2016 meant existing buildings could no longer be used. Despite the city of Chilliwack's support, their application to the ALC to grandfather the use of greenhouses for Halloween and holiday non-farm use in the ALR, denied. I, I cannot fathom why they won't make some changes back to the way it used to be. After a complaint over Halloween, Moran says the city advised him to skip Christmas at the farm or face fines. You caught me! So he'll be reprising his role as Santa for the seventh year, but Petey's Country Christmas, now Chilliwack Country Christmas at the local mall. 
kind of going to be a nostalgic uh, cross between the old Woodward's type decor to, you know, modern stuff. But you can't replace the magic of the farm where we have acres of lights. Dairy farmer and Delta South MLA Ian Payton, who also serves as the opposition agriculture critic, says farmers need every opportunity to supplement their income. It's just unbelievable what the NDP party and the Agricultural Land Commission is doing to shut down value-added opportunities for farmers in BC. We barely break even, and then that extra money that comes in for doing these events, that keeps us going. BC's Agriculture Ministry says government does not interfere in the independent decision-making process of the ALC. Moran will be submitting a request for reconsideration, hoping to return to the farm next season. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A reminder to be careful about where you hang your Christmas lights after this deer got caught up in the holiday season. Conservation officers were able to free the animal after it was found in the lower mainland yesterday with festive lights tangled in its antlers. The BC Conservation Officers Service is warning the public about the risk to antlered wildlife if lights are too accessible to them. An Edmonton couple is heartbroken and on the hunt for their missing dog. They fell victim to a dog napping scam in which a man claimed to have their pet, but after paying the ransom to free their dog, neither it nor the scammer were anywhere to be found. Global's Chris Chacon reports. For nearly two weeks, Matt and Danielle Perry have been looking for a beloved member of their family. Their one-and-a-half-year-old German shepherd named Bear went missing on November 4th. After no luck with initial searches, they turned to social media, and that's when they received a surprising phone call. You see, thought nobody was ever going to call you, eh? Yeah, no, exactly. A man called after seeing their online post. He didn't provide a name or a contact number, but claimed he had their missing dog. While that was great news for the Perrys at first, the situation quickly changed. He said, well, I don't want to meet you in person. Um... I asked him why, and he said, uh, I don't want you um, to say I stole your dog. I said, that, that's not going to be the case. We were just happy to get him back. The pair was suspicious, but continued the conversation. He was asking if there's a reward, and I said, um, well, what do you want? And he said, well, like $200 fare. I said, okay, well, to get Bear back, sure. The couple agreed to pay $200, $100 up front via e-transfer, and the rest after receiving their dog. But after paying the first part, the man disappeared. Police believe the family was scammed. We've been investigating a few fraudulent circumstances and, uh, recently, and it's come to our attention about specifically lost animals. This case and others are being investigated by RCMP. Officers say there are preventative measures. Scammers will prey on people's emotions, uh, especially within the circumstances of lost pets. And as animal lovers and owners, we will do anything to become reunited with our animals. So just to try to keep a level head before you offer any sort of monetary reward. Constable Jolene Thomas-Carter adds the importance of face-to-face -face exchanges and says to meet in a public venue or a police parking lot and use cash for a transaction. As for the Perrys, they are still hopeful they will find their missing dog. Chris Chacon, Global News. The inquiries into the deaths of Afghan war veteran Lionel Desmond and his family would begin hearing evidence on Monday. The former Canadian soldier fatally shot his mother, wife and daughter before taking his own life in the family's rural Nova Scotia home in early January 2017. 
The inquiry is to determine the circumstances of the deaths. It's looking into some specific issues, including the family's access to the appropriate mental health services. The inquiry is expected to last three weeks. To Hong Kong now, where police are threatening to use live bullets on demonstrators if they continue to target government buildings. It marks yet another escalation of violence connected to the protests, which have been going on now for more than five months. And some worry using live ammunition on protesters will be just the start. Mike LeCouture reports. With protesters on one side of the footbridge and a police truck on the other, a volley of Molotov cocktails are thrown at one armored vehicle, engulfing it in flames. Its retreat is a small victory for demonstrators who are using Hong Kong's Polytechnic University as their base. Demonstrators have resorted to rudimentary weapons like homemade slingshots and bow and arrows. On the ground, a police official was struck in the leg by one arrow, prompting a threat from law enforcement to use increased force. We will have no choice under the circumstance but to use real bullets in self-defense, says this police superintendent, and it wouldn't be the first time. Nearly a week ago, a 21-year-old protester was shot at nearly point-blank range. Sunday, a local activist tweeted a photo of what appears to be a police officer holding an automatic weapon a sign of escalation, according to this human rights advocate. And dead bodies of young people have been found at the bottom of tall buildings. And uh, all these are just, you know, signs that uh, uh, the, the, the Hong Kong police are prepared to severely crack down on the civil society. A spokesperson from Global Affairs Canada says the Canadian government is concerned by the recent violence in Hong Kong, adding the right to peaceful assembly is a fundamental freedom. These demonstrations started nearly six months ago as a protest against mainland China's proposed extradition law, which many saw as an infringement on Hong Kong's autonomy under the one country, two systems principle. The superpower eventually relented, but protesters feel they're now fighting against what they see as China's attempt to re-establish its grip on the territory. That's why some are calling on Western countries to do more. Including the sanctioning of key officials responsible for the uh, violation of human rights in Hong Kong in order to prevent a second Tiananmen massacre from happening there. And that is a very real possibility with police threatening to use real bullets on protesters. Mike LeCouture, Global News. In Iran, violent protests have erupted after a 50% spike in gas prices. At least one person has been killed and several others injured. The government says it's rationing gasoline purchases and increasing prices because the economy is struggling under U.S. sanctions. The U.S. and South Korea have agreed to postpone joint military air drills in an attempt to restart nuclear peace talks with North Korea. The announcement came as the U.S. Defense Secretary met with his South Korean counterpart at a conference in Bangkok. The two countries say it will be an act of goodwill aimed at getting North Korea back to the table. South Korea and the U.S. regularly carry out military drills, which the North views as an act of provocation. Venice has been hit with another record high tide. Water levels peaked at one and a half meters, the worst flooding seen in 50 years. 
Damage is now estimated to be over a billion dollars to world-famous sites and businesses around the region. St. Mark's famous historic square was closed to tourists. This is the third time this week that the waters have risen this high in Venice. In Spain, it's not the rain, but snow that's the problem. Snowfall alerts are in effect again. Heavy snowfall from severe storms is blocking roads and leaving some villages without power. 26 schools have been closed due to the extreme weather. Spain's weather agency reactivated its alerts for some northern regions of the country. This is Australia. A major thunderstorm hit the state of Queensland, dropping huge hailstones, that is, and there are fears lightning from the storm will ignite even more fires. Not even the rain is lifting spirits as people continue to flee their homes. There's still an extreme fire danger in Queensland and in the state of New South Wales, where hot, dry winds are fanning more than 100 blazes. Firefighters fear there may be no end in sight. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. How firefighters saved the day for a couple in Nevada. We're going to explain how they went way above and beyond the call of duty right after Yvonne's forecast. And Yvonne, boy, did you nail it yesterday when you said it was going to rain. Yeah, significant amount. I got a little clicker happy before, so I wanted to show you a few other amounts of what we did see. A West Vancouver Island, closer to 70 millimeters. Pit Meadows were close to 50. And then we saw that difference out of the airport at 34 and for White Rock at 30 millimeters. So a significant amount. And it was all courtesy of an atmospheric river that was taking aim at the south coast. A quick glance, uh, this is a beautiful shot that was taken from producer Marsha Gabriel. We had that significant rain. It eased off just past the noon hour. We did have some sunny breaks depending where you were. So thank you, Marsha, for sending in this great shot. We are still looking at a bit of instability now. We've got a break overnight and for tomorrow morning, fog patches, even the potential to see some drizzle. And then this will be the next weather maker. A blip for a Monday, but there is some sunshine and I'll show you more with your five-day forecast in just a moment. By tomorrow morning, cloud cover and fog afternoon and evening is when we'll see a push or a wave of rain. It does start to ease off late in the day and then Tuesday onwards, some sunshine and much needed dry conditions. A reminder, a high stream of flow advisory has been issued for all of the BC coast because of the rapidly rising river levels. They'll peak today into Monday, so stay clear of fast-flowing rivers and unstable riverbanks. And a flood watch is in effect for Kingcum River. But all other areas, it's a high stream flow advisory. So we'll continue to watch this very closely as we get into tomorrow. The peace sunshine breaks tomorrow. Temperatures up to 4 degrees. A southwesterly wind for the afternoon up to 20 kilometers per hour. Whitehorse, it is going to be a chilly start with the wind chill feeling closer to minus 13. A mainly cloudy sky does start to brighten up and warm up midweek on Wednesday, getting up to 7. Most areas along the coast still seeing on and off showers unsettled for tomorrow, breaking up for Tuesday with highs up to 7 and some sunshine. Caribou and central interior over the next three days, sunny and dry 
with highs up to four above the average that sits at minus one. Columbia and Kootenai will see a dry day. It's towards the evening that some rain is going to move in. And for Tuesday morning, temperatures up to six degrees. The snow level will start off at 1,500 and then lower closer to 1,000 meters. Tops at Okanagan will see, still see a few isolated showers. It'll be for the afternoon. Dry and rebounding for both Wednesday and quite cool and chilly on Thursday with a high of three. Whistler will see the showers moving in afternoon and evening. Temperatures up to six tomorrow. And the island will start to see the moisture moving in early afternoon. Highs up to 10 degrees. A break on the way and much needed drying out for our Tuesday, Wednesday. Your school day forecast. So for tomorrow morning, we could see a bit of drizzle. It'll be light if we do see any rainfall or moisture. By the lunch hour, it's cloud cover. And then afternoon and evening, grab that rain gear. We will see some rainfall moving in. Once we get past tomorrow, the good news is there is a clearing on the way for Tuesday onwards. Much needed with the sunshine, clear skies, especially for the overnight. It'll be chilly. We'll be closer to the freezing mark, but we do have a fair bit of sunshine. That's the plan so far for our Tuesday onwards. Colleen? I like your style. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ariana Grande wants to give her fans a bit of a heads up. She might have to cancel some of her upcoming concerts. Yeah, you In an Instagram video, Grande says she's had a bad sinus condition that's causing her pain and making it difficult for her to breathe. She says she's had the cold for more than three weeks and is planning on seeing a doctor soon. Good idea. Firefighters saved the day for a soon-to-be-married couple in Nevada just days before their wedding. They responded to a blaze at a home in Henderson, southeast of Las Vegas. Inside was the wedding dress and the wedding rings. Witnesses on the scene shot this video of the firefighters walking out of the smoldering home with both items in their hands. Aww. Wow. Good wedding gift there. That's nice. That's so I wonder if they'll get an invitation to the wedding. <laughs> that would be nice. It's a good idea. At least uh, for the reception. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Good. Uh, lots going on. CFL playoffs. We know who's going to play in the Grey Cup, and we know whoever wins next week's Grey Cup, their fans are going to be happy because it's been a while. Hamilton and Winnipeg are going to play, and none of those teams has won in the 2000s. The last time Hamilton won was back here in B.C. in 99, and Winnipeg won in 1990. It's been that long for them, so it's good to see. I'm happy. I mean, really, in the CFL in a nine-team league, you probably should win one every 10 years just by default. So it's been, it's been a tough run for those teams. we got that and lots of NFL as well. Nice. All right, okay. looking forward to it. I like your weather reference for sports. It's a good one. It's really good, and everyone's going to hear it in like six seconds. <laughs> thanks. I have no way to, to talk about it without kind of you know, blowing the line. So, All right, thanks, Colleen. In the CFL, it's all about getting hot when the weather gets cold. That's right. Winnipeg Blue Bombers had a great start to the season. They cooled off once some key injuries hit. It could only manage a third-place finish in the West. But they went into Calgary last week, stifled the Stampeders, and today in the West Final, the Bombers' defense shut down the Rough Riders to send Winnipeg to the Grey Cup, where they haven't won the national title in, uh, since 1990, the longest current drought of any team in the CFL. About as nice as a mid-November day as he could get in Regina, sunny and above zero, but not much to cheer about early for the Rider fans. Zach Kolaros, who started the year as a Rough Rider, now is the quarterback for the Bombers, fires this 26-yard touchdown pass to Kenny Lawler, 10-1 Winnipeg after one. That was the only touchdown of the game, although the Riders had plenty of chances to get in. Fourth quarter, down seven. Riders on the move. Cody Fajardo to Kyron Moore. Great catch. 
down to the three-yard line. But it came down to third and goal. And Fajardo decides to keep it himself, but he's not even close. The Bombers' defense has been so good in these playoffs. Stuffs him, but the Riders weren't done yet. They got the ball back, third and ten. Fajardo's throw tipped by the defender, but Moore makes an amazing catch. Maybe this is meant to be for the Riders. Even their rabid fans can't believe that kind of luck at that stage of the game. On the final play, they need a touchdown. Fajardo going to the end zone, but his throw hits the uprights. Dead ball, game over. Bombers survived to win it 20-13. They're headed to the Grey Cup for the first time since 2011 when the Lions beat them at BC Place. Of course, Winnipeg hasn't won it all since 1990. East final, Eskimos and Hamilton. No crossover team has ever made it to the Grey Cup. Esks would have to beat the 15-3 Ticats to do it, but they didn't help themselves in the first quarter. Two big turnovers, including this fumble by C.J. Gable, recovered by the Ticats, and they would turn that into points. Backup quarterback David Watford on third and goal takes it to the outside. Hamilton up 10-0. Second quarter, Dane Evans, their starter at quarterback. Huge day, 386 yards passing. His best one to Brandon Banks, who makes a very MOP-type catch in the end zone. Those are the big plays the Stars make at crunch time. 23-13 at the half. They controlled the rest of the way. Watford with another short touchdown seals the deal as the Ticats win 36-16. They'll meet the Bombers in the Grey Cup next Sunday in Calgary. Hamilton hasn't won a Grey Cup since 1999. NFL today, Seahawks with the bye week, watching the NFC West leading 49ers host Arizona. San Fran coming off that loss to the Seahawks on Monday night. Their first loss got out of the gate slowly today. Kyler Murray, the fine young Arizona quarterback, hits the veteran Larry Fitzgerald. It was 16-0 by the second quarter, but the Niners roared back. Jimmy Garoppolo to Kendrick Bourne, and San Francisco leads 23-19 now in the fourth. But Kyler Murray, like Russell Wilson, can really run the ball. 22-yard gallop for the touchdown gives Arizona the lead with six minutes to go. But in the final minute, the Niners in field goal range for the tie. But Garoppolo will hit Jeff Wilson over the middle, gallops in for the game-winning touchdown. They would add another on the final play and win at 36-26. So they're now 9-1, and they lead the Hawks by a game atop the NFC West. Cowboys and Lions from Detroit. Dak Prescott had himself a day at QB for the Cowboys. Second quarter, short pass to Tony Pollard, who does the rest, races in for the touchdown. It's 10-7 for Dallas. Now late in the half, Prescott will fire a strike over the middle to the former Packer, Randall Cobb. Makes the catch for the touchdown. Takes a nasty helmet-to-helmet hit. That was flagged, but he was okay. Stayed in the game, 24-14 Cowboys at the half. Fourth quarter, Prescott with his third touchdown pass of the game to Zeke Elliott. Prescott, 444 yards passing and the three scores. Cowboys go to 6-4 after the 35-27 win. Patriots and Eagles from Philly. Eagles needing a win to keep pace with the Cowboys in the NFC East. Got off to a good start. Carson Wentz with the bullet pass to Dallas Goddard. The Patriots wrestle the ball away, but after review, it was ruled Goddard had possession when his knee touched down in the end zone. So it is a touchdown, 10-0 Eagles. But the Patriots come back, tied at 10. Tom Brady lateral pass to Julian Edelman, who then fires the touchdown pass to Philip Dorsett. Belichick's bag of tricks coming through again. Patriots grind out a 17-10 road win in Philly. New England now 9-1. Eagles drop to 5-5. Vikings and Broncos from Minnesota. Denver led 20-0 at the half, but...
Rally down 10 in the fourth. Kirk Cousins to Stefan Diggs. Perfect throw, 54-yard touchdown, cuts the lead to 23-20. And then the next time the Vikings have the ball, Cousins will deliver again 32 yards to Kyle Rudolph, who now has five touchdowns in his last five games. Vikings come all the way back to win it 27-23, and they are now 8-3 in the NFC. Saints and Buccaneers from Tampa. Drew Brees and the Saints looking to bounce back from that 26-9 home beatdown by the Falcons last week. And as expected, Brees did just that. Third touchdown pass of the game finds Ted Ginn Jr. Saints in control and their defense also chipping in as Jameis Winston's pass is picked off by Marcus Williams and he takes it all the way back. 55-yard interception return for a touchdown. Saints get back on track. 34-17 over Tampa Bay, New Orleans now 8-2. And, and one more, Texans and Ravens from Baltimore. Lamar Jackson had another monster day, another 86 yards rushing to get him up to 788 yards through 10 games. But this kid's a great passer, too. Delivers a perfect strike to Mark Andrews for the touchdown. 14-0 over the Texans, who were 6-3 coming in. A good team, but it was all Ravens. Lamar Jackson threw for 22 yard, or 222 yards, four touchdowns on the day. Mark Ingram had a pair of touchdown catches. 41-7, Baltimore now 8-2, a definite contender in the AFC. Welcome back. The Canucks finish the month of November on the road. They'll play six games in an 11-day span starting Tuesday night in Dallas. The Stars have only gone 10-1-1 in their last 12. Other stops include Nashville, Washington, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Edmonton. Every one of those teams is currently in a playoff spot except Nashville, and they're just two points out. So certainly the possibility of a disastrous trip that could have a huge effect on the Canucks' playoff aspirations. Last night, they wear their 90s retro jerseys against the Avalanche. They were down 4-2 with under three minutes to go, and Avs player was injured on this play, but play continued, and Quinn Hughes found Alex Edler for the tap-in to make it 4-3, and then with a minute to go, Extra attacker again. Good play by Elias Pettersson to get the puck towards the net. And Brock Besser will pound it in to make it 4-4. It goes to overtime, but OT did not last long. Nathan McKinnon shows why he's right up there with Connor McDavid when it comes to explosive brilliance. What a goal. Beats Demko. 5-4 avalanche win. But the Canucks do get a point after trailing by two with under three minutes to go. No, I thought it was you know great for us to come back and get that point. It would have been nice to... Obviously, get two, but um, it's a huge point. Uh, I think we built a little confidence there in the third, going into this road trip coming up, and we just got to carry that momentum going into uh, into our next game. I think confidence is a huge, huge thing uh, this year. I think it's a step up from last year, and uh, you know, I'm just going to try to carry that into every game. NHL tonight, Flames and Golden Knights from Vegas. Calgary got shut out yesterday afternoon by the Coyotes. First period, William Carlson. We'll snap it past Cam Talbot to give uh, Vegas the lead in the second. Paul Stastny, nice little move here to the middle of the ice and then fires it in. 2-0 Vegas. And in the third, they actually really pile it on. Max Pacioretty on a 2-on-1. He'll shoot and score. 3-0 and Vegas goes on to hammer the Flames. 6-0 We got shut out twice, Calgary did, on the weekend. Speaking of getting shut out, not a good afternoon for the Giants, who fall 6-0 to the Hurricanes at the LEC today. Final playoff race in NASCAR. The Ford 
EcoBoost 400 from Miami, and it was Kyle Busch who cruised to victory, and that gives him his second NASCAR Cup Series championship in the six-year history of the elimination-style playoffs. Busch had a slow start to the season after injuring his leg and foot in the season-opening weekend at Daytona. Missed 11 races, but came back, won five times during the year before clinching it today in Miami. ATP Tour Finals from London. Greece's Stefano Tsitsipa and Austria's Dominic Team in the final. A big surprise considering Djokovic, Nadal and Federer were in the final eight, but they all got eliminated along the way. Third set tiebreaker. Nice put away there by Tsitsipa. And then on match point, big serve by the 21-year-old and the return is wide. So Tsitsipa wins the ATP Finals in London. Wins about 2.7 million U.S. dollars. The Davis Cup starts tomorrow. Canada plays Italy in its first match tomorrow. PGA Tours in Playa del Carmen, Mexico for the Mayakoba Classic. They tried to squeeze in 36 today after heavy rain Thursday washed out round one. Co-leader Von Taylor, beautiful tee shot here on 10. That would lead to a birdie. He is at 20 under par, still leading. Also playing in the final group, Brendan Todd will make a birdie here. Darkness came before they could finish the final round. Still four holes to play. Todd and Taylor tied for the lead. They'll finish it off early tomorrow morning. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor finished his final round. He's at minus eight. He'll finish in the top 30 and probably make about 60 or 70,000 bucks. Oh, is that all? That's hey, nice. he played four rounds of golf. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. <laughs> As we know, many British Columbians travel long distances to catch a Canucks game, but chances are this next couple has got most of them beat. Every year for the past seven years, they have flown to Vancouver from overseas to catch as many games as possible. As Jordan Armstrong found out, they're clearly no fly-by-night fans. They blend in with the local fans, but when you hear their cheer... Go Canucks! Go Canucks, go! It's apparent they're not from here. We've traveled halfway around the world <laughs> to come and see the Canucks. Traveled from Tamworth near Birmingham, England. Once a year, Shirley and Paul Hilton make the two-hour drive to Heathrow Airport, then fly 10 hours to Vancouver to watch the Canucks. But not just one game. Last year we did seven games. We wait for the schedule to come out, and then... Um, when, when there's like five or six home games together, as many games as we can get together, then that's when we tend to book our holiday. They always stay in the same hotel, steps from Rogers Arena. So how were they bitten by the hockey bug? Paul used to play badminton. Many years ago, his league chairman took them to an amateur hockey game back in England, and they were hooked. We always got told about the Sedines, the Sedine twins and how famous they were and uh, the netminder Roberto Luongo. Um, so we ended up getting NHL.tv uh, and we started watching it online. They decided Vancouver was their team and now they're diehard Canucks fans. Their favourite players? EP40. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Fantastic player. Fantastic player. Yes, definitely. For me, I think um, Bo Horvat would probably be my standout player. There's the shot. After taking in Saturday's Thriller versus the Avalanche, the couple is now making the long journey back to England. But they plan to be back in February, when the Sedines will have their numbers raised to the rafters. Again, the, the hotel guys here have all already got a room pre-booked for us, for us if we want it. Go Canucks, go! Go Canucks, go! Jordan Armstrong, Global News.
Oh, they're fantastic. Oh, British, British sweet. Columbians right there, right? Yes. Exactly. Yes. We don't, don't usually think of the Brits as being hockey fans. No, no it's, there's, there used, there's a pro league over there, I think, still. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of Canadians go over there and play. And it's, I think it's popular. Some, I, I play with the guy who's from, who's from England who plays. So, oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, love him. Love them. That's great. And they're coming to watch games not at the best weather time of year. No, but they don't mind, I guess, because they're indoors. But over the next couple of days, hopefully, no, I think they were going home. But just in case, the long-range forecast that's really shaping up. A nice clearing on the way for tomorrow. I mean, Tuesday, rather, tomorrow. It's the afternoon and evening that we'll be seeing some rain, but nothing in comparison to what we're seeing over the weekend. Thank goodness. Yes. Thanks for joining us. Join Jordan tonight. <laughs>